cassettes and welcome back to another case from the black case diaries podcast yeah woo, woo, woo. yeah i am marcy i'm and, adam and i'm robin woo. welcome to season two everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. get excited or whatever i guess I, i'm guessing that's yeah well you could call it that so uh today we're gonna do another special episode about uh scores yeah. music scores but even more special because it's disney yeah scores. disney animated scores yeah. yeah you ready to talk a lot robin <laughs> <laughs> Woo. yeah get ready um, ma, ma, ma. Ma. <laughs> we got you a nice drink right refresher that's right marcy got me a drink <laughs> okay so we've done two episodes on scores already and this is episode three technically but we're calling it one and a half yeah mm-hmm. get it do you get it <laughs> so this is a welcome to the case for knowing the scores one and a half disney Woo-hoo. edition boop boop boo yeah all right what song was that uh, that's some uh free royalty free music <laughs> <laughs> royalty free mouth sounds exactly dot com <laughs> so i made an incredibly lengthy document <laughs> about disney scores and the way this is going to work because i was very confused about how i was actually going to go about this because there's so much information involved in these scores there's you know about 50 some movies that right there's a Mm -hmm. like yeah that we have to talk about so what I did was I split them up into their nine separate eras and we're not really going to focus so much in the last two. So we're not going to talk as much about post-Renaissance and revival, which revival is what we're in right now with Disney. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to talk as much about those. We're not going to go as in depth. We, we are going to start at the very beginning with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in 1937 and we're going to just kind of make our way and it is going to be a ride. Yes. And, and and not to say that the new scores aren't great. Oh, of course, there, yeah. There's great music in the new movies, but we're just going to talk about some of the stuff that people might not be as familiar with. Yeah, and, you know, we're going to talk about everything that made Disney what it is now. Right. And pretty much at the point of post-revival, I mean, at, post-revival, I'm sorry, at the point of post-Renaissance, pretty much, you know... <laughs> Everything up to that point is what affected Disney moving forward from that. Does that make any sense? Did I just say nonsense? I think no, I did. No, I get it. Okay. <laughs> it, 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 those leading up to it made Disney what it was, and now Disney is what it is right. and are doing what they do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's not changing or following, evolving following. as much. You got think, it. I think I got it, yeah. You got it. You can actually really learn the entire history of Disney animation just by listening to all of these scores, especially if you listen to them in order, you can hear the development and how things changed over time. They kind of evolved into each other. And learning about, you know, where all this music came from, you can figure out, you know, how these movies were made. So it's going to sound a lot like the history of Disney is also, but I'm going to try really hard not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be another episode. It'll yeah. be five hours long. <laughs> yeah, that'll be like an 80-parter. <laughs> So much. Yay, so excited. So we're gonna go ahead and start. <laughs> Don't yeah. roll your eyes over there. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and start at the golden age of Disney. Yeah. Which yeah, which began with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in nineteen thirty seven. So Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and this is this is what I want everyone to do, unless you're driving, close your eyes 
and just <laughs> imagine. No, still do it. <laughs> imagine, yeah, it's 1937. The Wizard of Oz hasn't come out yet. Movie musicals have only been around for 10 years. Talkies have only been around for 10 years. And Disney produces the first ever animated movie, like full-length animated movie. And not only that, it's a musical. So it is a really tough feat. He did something that no one had ever done before, and he put music to it, which is really, I mean, totally blew everybody away. And rightfully so, because, again, it's 1937. Right. World War II hasn't happened yet. Like, think about where we are. Okay, you can open your eyes. So, (laughs) (laughs) What year is it? (laughs) Yeah, we're back in 2019. All right. So um, the thing about 1937 and when Snow White came out was that the movie was heavily influenced by other musicals that had just come out at the time. You had 42nd Street which is a big one. You know, you've got Top Hat. And these are things that are brand new musicals that we're going to talk about next week. Well, actually, yeah. We're going to talk about next in next week's episode. We're going to talk about musicals. But these are original musicals that were written for the screen, just like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So the people that worked on this score were Paul Smith, Lee Harline, Frank Churchill, and Larry Moray. Paul Smith was a composer that did so many Disney movies uh, it, it, I mean, I, I can't even tell you, but we're going to find out what they all are. Cause I'm going to go through the list, but he really, his sound is what set the tone for Disney music because this is how Disney was going to sound mm-hmm. flowery is lofting, right? Orchestral scores. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you've got just, you know, lots of, uh, da, ba, ba, you know, music, now you've Sounds got this very yeah. m- fantasy, magical, yes. happy-go-lucky kind right. of sound. It, <laughs> she's operatic, you know. She's yeah. got the, you know. It's it, this is like this is fairy tale. Everybody, this is what a fairy tale looks like. It's what it sounds like, and it's the '30s. So this music is pretty much like right on, right on par for exa- yep. exactly what's going on in the 1930s. And you guys listen to Snow White to the Snow White at least overture. Yeah, really. mm-hmm. yeah. It's a great little tune. Um, I it reminds me of we we mentioned it's just the ultimate like fairy tale sound, but then I also thought about how much Disney used that sound in everything beside their movies. You know, in a lot of their advertising, in all of their like splash screens on their movies and DVDs and stuff. It still kind of sounds that magical way. It's still the brand that they're they're putting up even now you know it started way back then but they still use that same sound it init- from the beginning they knew what they were going for and there you go mm-hmm. yeah the simple elegant elegance a good word yeah. yes right and you can like you hear the how the melodies of the songs are kind of woven in too and you know like i said it sounded like a lot of people worked on it we there were three different people that you know, we, we had actually write music <laughs> for the movie and all of them were nominated for Oscars. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of for an animated movie when no animated movies existed and everyone thought this was going to be a stupid idea. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. It was like it, this really was history. Yeah. Right. And it was the first ever commercially issued uh, yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Which it was is the first. Cool. Yeah. It was the first time any movie soundtrack ever was bought by people and then brought home (laughs) and listened listened to. to. Like, this was that was the first time. It wasn't the first animated one. It was the first ever. Wow. 
wow. to do that. And it was 1937, so it was probably it was probably like on 78s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. 78 speed records. <laughs> I heard on the radio. <laughs> so, do you know how long um, they kept that where one person would do the lyrics, one person would do? Yeah, they the did it things. for i mean a lot of the time it wasn't even just one person that did the score it was usually like a collaboration between two people mm-hmm. and and then there would be someone different who wrote the wrote the song and it through all of these movies that i did it pretty much lasted that way wow. all the way up until like maybe with a few exceptions until the 80s so, because it sounds it sounds like they got an assembly line running. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they found a <laughs> at some point. And they're like, okay, right here you go. <laughs> we we talk about the Disney formula, and it applies to a lot of their movies. You know, a lot of principles, not just the movies themselves, but the score and the animation style and all this stuff. It's the formula exists for real. Right. They created a formula then, and it worked, and it never stopped working. Mm-hmm. Because when they when they strayed from the formula, they had problems, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> so the next movie I'm going to talk about is Pinocchio, and I'm not going to go in depth of every movie of each era, just like the most prominent ones of the golden area area of the golden era. Snow White and Pinocchio are the two biggest movies. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, sure. with Pinocchio, we have When You Wish Upon a Star. And obviously, the score of Pinocchio is beautiful. It should be listened to, and it is really, it's good. But When You Wish Upon a Star is really the gold standard right. of mm-hmm. Disney songs. Yeah, it kind of became their theme. It's it's essentially the Disney theme at this point. They There's a version of it, I think it still is, when they show the castle at the beginning oh, of the Oh, the very beginning? Oh, yeah. It's, That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like... I'm not going to hum it, but it, it's the... <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Yeah, you know it. And and they play it with the with the 3D, the CG castle yeah. mm-hmm. that they yeah, have now. Even yeah, even now. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always been that. Going across. Paul Smith came back and scored this one. This time I think he won an Oscar mm-hmm. for Pinocchio. He So that, you know, this time he finally got he finally got that award that eluded him only three years earlier. And Lee Harline also came back. But this time Lee Harline also wrote... The music for the songs, the melody, and Ned Washington is the guy who wrote the lyrics for When You Wish Upon a Star. So he's the person that, you know, you got to thank. Yeah, (laughs) for all of that. Yeah, and Ned Washington was a lyricist from Tin Pan Alley. And I'm, I'm I'm including that detail because it kind of shows you where they were drawing influences from. And so if you guys, do you guys know what Tin Pan Alley is? I was gonna ask because I do not. American song producers that were working out of New York in this time period where it was like this whole industry. It was kind of like a little bit of a culture. It was known as Tin Pan Alley. And that was because all of the producers were like, they were writing the music out and then they were pounding it out on their pianos. And it was an actual location where all the musical offices were. And so it sounded like people were, because of the p- the piano music, it sounded like people were banging <laughs> things on tin pans. Oh, yeah, so yeah, so that was a big part of just the music industry, just on its own. And so Ned Washington is somebody who came out of that, and so that kind of shows you like this is you know, this is not just a, a niche thing, you know. They're pulling from all music, from you know, gotcha. and any yeah. And as it goes on, obviously things change. Disney's music changed, and it was because they were pulling from influences from modern day stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So after we've got Pinocchio, we've got Fantasia, Dumbo, and Bambi. (laughs) I know Adam really likes Bambi. I love Bambi. Get at me. (laughs) So Bambi was actually the first Disney animated movie with songs in it where the characters did not sing the songs. Yes. Um, The song that a lot of people recognize from this movie would be a, a little April showers, mm-hmm. the one that uh, is has lyrics, but like you said, the characters aren't singing it. And I had re- I recently listened to this because if you want to follow along with some of the songs we talk about, uh, we have a playlist put together that Robin graciously put together for us. Um, it'll be on it'll be on the website blackhairsdiaries.com. Um, it's a long playlist. It's seventy-seven songs. It was eighty, but I cut three out. So but you're it, welcome. But they're all great. They're all great songs, and some of them are Disney songs that you can just sing to. So just it'll fly by. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in there, I, I listened to Little April Showers, and dang, does it have a hell of a tonal shift partway through? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it listening to it without watching the movie made me realize how much it sounds like a thunderstorm, mm-hmm. and how really cool that is because there's no sound effects used it's all instruments and vo- and vocals it, it's really really cool because when watching it um i don't think of the vo- vocals as part of the storm it's just like oh it's supposed to sound intense and kind of scary during the thunderstorm but listening to it without visuals and just hearing it it's like oh they're the wind the the, vo- the voices are the wind i get it now <laughs> It, it just clicked, and it's it's really, really cool. That's amazing to hear. When I was listening to it, I couldn't help but picture, because this is one of the movies I watched a lot as a uh-huh. kid, so I just, I remembered, like, a, a lot of the frames. Like, I remember, like, in the beginning, it was just dripping on one leaf, yep. and, like, I was picturing that in the beginning, and then it just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, that's really good, because you can see how the visuals and the sounds were Based, they were this perfect harmony mm-hmm. and exactly the way, you know. And Bambi is a huge animation marvel that sh- it should be recognized for how great of a movie it actually is. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't enjoy watching it, it was a big, it was a big deal when it came out. Yes. Bambi is a really important movie in terms of animation, but at the same time, uh, movie scores as well. So I was saying that somebody different usually writes the songs, but mm-hmm. I... I mean, I must have just totally forgotten about <laughs> all of the movies where that doesn't happen. Uh, for example, <laughs> Frank Churchill wrote the score for Bambi, but he also wrote the songs, okay. the music for the songs. And uh, Ed- Frank Churchill and Edward Plum wrote the score Ooh. for Bambi. Yes. Mr. In the... In the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the wrench. Yeah. In the- yeah. <laughs> in the library. <laughs> but... Larry Moore wrote the the lyrics to the song. So, you know, just a call back from just a few years earlier, back when it was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. You know, back to the beginning again. There you wow. go. So you've got Fantasia, which we're not going to talk about because Fantasia is classical music. That's the whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody arranged it. Somebody conducted it. It was the Philadelphia Orchestra. It was beautiful. It was awesome. There's remasters. Yeah, but right. it's Fantasia. Like, it, you know what it is. Yeah, and it's just the interesting thing about it is that they put the animation to the music rather than the music to the animation, which is what makes it unique. Right. Mm-hmm. So moving on from the golden era, we're going to talk about now the wartime era. Yay. Which... Not everybody's favorite era. No. <laughs> it's super unique. 
there because when you as you're going through the Disney timeline, you see that there are re- there's repetition. You see how history kind of repeats itself. The wartime era is probably the only time where that's not really the case. It was a very special time because this is when <laughs> this is when Disney lost a lot of their people because of war right. uh, circumstances with that, and they had to slow their production. They didn't have enough resources. And but they were still so dedicated to making movies and to staying around that they did make movies, but all of them were they were like these conglomerate kind of movies where it was just a full length movie filled with a bunch of little shorts. Adam's seen them. Yes, I have. Uh Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros are our favorites, Robin, right? Yeah. Um starring <laughs> starring the fabulous Donald Duck. That's right. And he goes and explores Spanish places? Yes, yes. I'm surprised it's, you don't talk about that more, you guys. <laughs> you it's it's our it so favorite. Much. They're our favorite Disney movies. Let me tell you the plot of the Three Caballeros <laughs> real quick. It's Donald Duck's birthday. He gets a present. He opens said present. And that's it. What is in the present is like Spanish Brazil. things. <laughs> yeah. No, or Saludos Amigos is Brazil, I think. Caballeros yeah, is Caballeros just is Latin like, America. In yeah, in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that. Dang. It was pretty cool. But but yeah, it has lots of live action thrown in, lots of clips uh, mushed together, as well as uh, Make My Music Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time. Those things are essentially mini Fantasias almost. Right. They are. And these are important for scores, though. They might not be a lot of fun to watch, but this <laughs> is actually a really important time because when they were making Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros, they had chance to work with artists from other countries. And so artists from other countries did write some songs that made it into the movie. So that's pretty cool. That's actually really interesting. It was also the introduction of Jose Carioca. Is that how you say his I name? I think you nailed it. If you don't, do you know who that is, Marcy? He's the green parrot dude. He's like small. He's got, okay, it's fine. He's like, okay. Show me. <laughs> I'm going to Google a picture. You keep going. All right. So he is kind of, he's a print, much bigger deal in Latin America, mostly because he first appeared in these movies. There he is. Oh, okay. Yeah. You yeah, rec- you'd recognize I see him. him now. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then we've got Make My Music Fun and Fancy Free and Melody Time. Which were all movies that were based off of shorts that were based off of poems, short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, you know, some of them even had classical pieces in them. Like one of them has Peter and the Wolf, and th- this idea was the reason I say that it's important. Is this is a time when they pulled in artists from the wartime era? Mm-hmm. You've got the Andrews Sisters singing in one of them. They they sing Little Toot. Do you mm-hmm. remember Little Toot mm-hmm. from that one? It's a cute cute little one about a boat. I really Aww. liked Little yeah. Toot. Yeah, and so they would bring in artists, and this is kind of the first time that in a Disney movie there's somebody singing in it that is a popular artist. Kind of famous mm. outside of that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I said, I just, you know, highlighted the most recognizable pieces. Mickey and the Beanstalk is the mm-hmm. most is the most recognizable piece. Fun and Fancy Free? Yes, that's from okay. Fun and Fancy Free. Make My Music has Peter and the Wolf in it with music by... Prokofiev. Yeah, that's right, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's how smart I am. Nice, nice. <laughs> I didn't even write that down. That oh. is off the top of my head. Oh, woo. I almost, I almost forgot. Go I was Robin, like, I was like, what's his Robin, first name? Is it Sergei? Anyway. Robin. So, <laughs> and then we've got the Andrew sisters who do Little Toot. So after those, we have the one that I really wanted to highlight from this era, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, yes. which I've forced you guys to watch before. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't say forced. <laughs> 
She tied me down and uh, used tape on the, uh, you know. <laughs> lifted your eyes a no, little. I really, kidding. yeah, I really enjoy Ichabod and Mr. Toad. It's two shorts put together, both based off of classic literature. Mm-hmm. The Wind in the Willows and The Legends of Sleepy Hollow. And the reason I do think this is also important is because, again, Bing Crosby narrates the entire part of Ichabod. This is, he sings all of it. It's, it's him. Oliver Wallace wrote the score for The Legends of Sleepy Hollow. And also Don Ray and Jean de Paul and Frank Churchill and Charles Wolcott all wrote the songs for both. Frank Churchill wrote the song, wrote the one song for the Mr. Toad part of the segment. Mm-hmm. We're on our way to, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get it. Stop there. Yeah, I guess stop. <laughs> stop. <laughs> we got it. How many times do I stop? <laughs> Name that tune. Oh. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So... We're going to move away from the wartime era. But I just want to remind everybody that the big names that kind of keep coming up are Frank Churchill and Paul Smith. And every once in a while, you know, we've got Jean de Paul. He's coming. He's going to come back. (laughs) Spoilers. (laughs) And (laughs) so uh, as I go down here, we're going to start the Silver Age. Yes. Which begins with, I think, possibly... One of probably is very very possible the most popular Disney movie ever. The quintessential Disney princess movie. Yes, the Disney print the Disney princess Cinderella. Right. Who? <laughs> right. <laughs> Cinderella. I know Sleeping Beauty came out in this era too, but Cinderella is the most prominent movie that came from the Silver Age. And it is the first one. It's special because finally they got everybody back. No one's doing war propaganda every, anymore. We're all, they're all just there. They're, they have the resources and the time. And everybody knows that they can make movies that everybody wants. So this is the time when they're, they're, they pull out the stops, they do what they want to do, and they make Cinderella. And it's still popular. Mm-hmm. That- they, they make about a zillion <laughs> <laughs> versions of it even now you know we right. we talk about the the live action remakes that are happening right now but when cinderella happened we're like eh, yeah whatever that was the first one and it was you know the, the safest one yep. because this is a movie that everybody loves with cinderella because the story it, it's not just the story that people fell in love with it's also the music mm-hmm. a dream is a wish your heart makes is a Disney staple. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's probably it's just it's a it's a little bit below when you wish upon a star, in terms of like fame and accessibility yeah. and stuff like that. But it it is it it is a Disney. That's it. It's like, up yeah. there for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. One of the most recognizable Disney songs ever created. <gasps> now, when I was uh, listening to it for this. I I guess I never really listened to all the lyrics exactly before. And there was one line <laughs> that I really liked and I thought it was pretty funny. And she says, I let, um, she, she talks about even the clock tells her what to do. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's telling her to get up. Yep. But, but so, relatable. Yeah, so relatable. And what's great about that is they pull that, they, they play that card again later in the movie when the bell rings and she's turning mm-hmm. from her because princess form back to... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the clock, even even after the fairy godmother does her magic, the clock's still telling her what to do. That's right. And the two pieces that I put on the list were A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes and the music that plays as Cinderella is running from the castle and desperately trying to make her way 
back to her house as she's changing. Right. And I, I picked that one because it, I thought that was one of the more dynamic parts <laughs> of the score. It's really interesting. You hear like the hurriedness. And- yeah, the, the word I use is frantic <laughs> because it sounds like you're hustling. But like a worried hustle, like oh god, don't see me, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing, and and it's and it's amazing how well they can portray that without worrying about anything else. We a lot of the old movies don't rely as much on sound or 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 anything like that. They let the music do all of the emoting for you, and they just it's just right on top of the animation. You don't have to worry about anything else, and it's able to convey such a great emotion it's it's perfect for what it is and you can really feel the desperation in in cinderella trying to get away so the score was by oliver wallace and paul j smith again yeah, there he is there he is he's oh, back our, our pal paul smith pj smith <laughs> <laughs> can i call you pj <laughs> The song. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> the songs were written by mac david jerry livingston and al hoffman and Mac David and Jerry Livingston, Jerry Livingston were already like a duo. They were already a team that came from Broadway, much like a later team that we're going to talk yeah. about that came from Broadway. Ooh. They came from Broadway and also, you know, Al Hoffman, I wrote in this, I thought this was really interesting too. He wrote a lot of popular song, popular songbook songs. You know, one of the ones that he wrote was Fit as a Fiddle, which they use in Singing in the Rain, if you remember in the beginning. Fit as a fiddle and ready for love. Anyway, so I thought that was really interesting. So, you you, you know, once again, we see somebody who is a prominent lyricist who is coming, who's coming to Disney. This is something that happens over and over again. So I'm going to stop talking about it. But I will say that it, it, it is. It's a common thing for someone who's a popular songwriter, who's well-known in the public eye, to help Disney out and write at least one song or two for his movies. And Disney now has a lot of that clout where they are they always get the biggest and the best. Like for example, the Lion King coming out that cast huge yeah. names, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. From the beginning they were doing this. You know, they from the beginning they had this brand of we make the best stuff. Sure they've got their weird ones in there, but like for the most part they're able to keep up this brand of being the very best at what they do Mm -hmm. and you know it's because everybody loves it Mm -hmm. people loved snow white and the seven dwarves and when cinderella came out they were like yeah Mm -hmm. i will be a part of that Mm -hmm. because it's just as important and just as viable as writing any musical or writing any song there's like this this stuff is not any any less important just because it's animation and because of that attitude that's how Disney really grew. And because it was not just animation, it was the best in animation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I wish more people thought that. Yeah. The other movies that came out in the Silver Era, but you guys will recognize, Alice yes. in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, 101 Dalmatians, and The Sword in the Stone. I lumped those all together because we don't have time to talk about every single one. <laughs> so Alice in Wonderland was scored by the same people who did Cinderella. But right. the songs were written by a bunch of different people. Why? I'm not totally certain. I think maybe just, just I don't know. Keep like, it fresh. Something with production. Oh. I yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> keep it fresh. It keeps maybe it kind of works with the idea of Wonderland being this like conglomerate weird like who knows what's going right. on place. So they can if you have if you have multiple people write songs, you kind of get a little bit of different flavor in each song. 
you know, it still fits in with the Disney mm-hmm. formula, but you get a little bit of a twist on it. So, well, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and, and it is interesting. It would make sense for them to kind of break a little bit from the writing and composing formula that they're going for right now, because at this point they had more of a chance to do a dynamic characters like Cinderella. I know she doesn't seem very dynamic, but when you compare her to Snow White, she does seem a little more dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And this is when you first start to see Alice Alice from Alice in Wonderland and Wendy from Peter Pan. These are not princesses. These are just, you know, female characters. Mm-hmm. And they're not incredibly passive. They do have personality mm-hmm. and they're, you know, obviously very curious. They're both voiced by Catherine Beaumont. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> so toss that in there. there That's why go. they sound yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. Some of, most of the songs for Snow for Alice in Wonderland were written by Bob Hilliard and Sammy Fain. Sammy Fain wrote some other songs as time went on. Don Ray and Jean DePaul, the guys who wrote songs for Ichabod and Mr. Toad, also wrote some songs. And Jerry Livingston and Al Hoffman, who wrote songs for Cinderella, wrote the Unbirthday song, which is one of the most popular yeah. songs mm-hmm. from of it. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Pan is the next movie, and it shares similarities to other movies of the time. Like we said, sweeping orchestral music, vocals, like choral, choral, you know, think of a happy, you know, anyway. Right. And one of the things at the beginning, that song you were singing, they kind of start it with almost like a spoken word. The dialogue of the characters is like it rhymes mm-hmm. and it's basic they basically reiterate it once the the chorus starts so it, it it's kind of like it's the song starts before anyone starts singing it's it's a lot like musicals yeah when you think of for example the music man right may I have your attention please like the whole yeah. thing the whole thing is like he's really talking but it's just kind of. But it still fits in with that music that's playing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. But one thing I wanted to <laughs> I want to bring up um, the idea of music as sound design again for this era, these movies, particular Peter Pan and Hundred One Dalmatians, and then Jungle Book as well. But these movies do a very good job of using that music. You said there are these big orchestral sweeping scores that that kind of remind us that we're watching a movie, but at the same time, during some of the quieter moments of the movie. It's it's not silent because the music is still there, but it's just like following along with what's happening. And a lot of old cartoons do that, like Looney Tunes stuff. If somebody peeks around a corner, <laughs> yep, those that, that little Peter Pan tune, yeah. or or anything like that. Like if they're sneaking, mm-hmm. yep, it, you know that that kind of stuff. It it's, doesn't happen too much anymore, but in this era in particular there's a lot of it not relying on any sound design you don't hear people's footsteps you don't hear people clanging uh metal or or an example another example um the black cauldron mm. if i bring that up for a moment um <laughs> all of the the army of the dead and all this stuff they're going nuts or 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 even in uh, sleeping beauty if you want to toss it back to that as well the the bad guys are like chasing after the good guys and it's like this whole army of people all this You'd expect to hear all this like crazy clanging of metal and and growls and all this stuff, but there isn't. They don't worry about that stuff. They let the music do that for you, and it's really cool how um, they're able to get that same emotion. You should like, oh god, these these guys mean business, and it, it, it's incredible how they're able to pull that together. Right. Anyway, so moving on to 101 Dalmatians, 
um, sorry, this movie actually has a lot to do, like a lot in common with movies of the dark era or the Bronze Age. And one of those things that they have in common is the fact there's only one song in the whole movie. Yes. Paired with an interesting score. And the song is very jazzy. It's a very jazz, like mm-hmm. standard It's in with song. the time period that it's set in, you know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it was written by Mel Levin, who was a pretty well-known, at least, no, I wouldn't say very famous, but he was pretty well-known for music and lyrics. He did both. And he wrote the songs for another movie called Babes in Toyland, if you guys have heard. Yes. So he wrote that music. And also, there, this was really special because it showed a clear jazz influence in Disney music. And George Bruns wrote the soundtrack. This is important because George Bruns wrote the soundtrack for a lot of movies in the Disney Dark Age that we will talk about. And that's how, you know, I, there's, a, there's a lot of connection here. After that, we've got Lady and the Tramp. We won't get into that one as much, but I will say that the songs are written by Peggy Lee and Sonny Burke. And... As I was going through this and researching pretty much every single movie from the beginning (laughs) down to this one, this is the first time a woman's name was used for credit on a song in any of these movies. So I I noticed as I went down, this is the first time that I found a female. So there is a chance that maybe there was somebody who did sound at some point something earlier in one of the movies that I just missed the credit. But this is the first time that I saw a woman's name in the credit so so no smith or churchill or anything (laughs) no no this is this is different and they wrote the most famous song from lady and the tramp obviously bella note the song Mm -hmm. when they're eating spaghetti Mm -hmm. i don't remember i don't think i included that on the list but Mm -mm. i mean i can later if people want to listen to it (laughs) you know that one you know everyone knows these scoots the meatball and all that you've (laughs) seen it a million times and thinking of bella note my mind just slips immediately for some reason into Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty, which is the next song on the list. Yeah, they have a lot of similarities if you listen to them in your head. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get it. So Once Upon a Dream <laughs> was written by Sammy Fine of Alice in Wonderland. He did a fine job, I think. He sure did. And I mentioned him a little bit earlier. He, was, he did do Alice in Wonderland. And Jack Lawrence, who wrote the lyrics. So this is the only song in the movie, again, except for, unless you count the songs where the, the choir is singing in the beginning and all of this stuff. There's lots of orchestral and music. Much better singing than that, but. That was beautiful. It was beautiful. Thank though. you. Thank you, guys. And so the melody for Once Upon a Dream is based off of the Garland Waltz from Tchaikovsky's The Sleeping Beauty Ballet. So the, the, if you ever listen to The Sleeping Beauty Ballet, you'll hear the song. I don't care because you know what Tchaikovsky wrote it that that one (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) has to be right so that's actually really interesting that they actually they pulled from a Sleeping Beauty source material other than obviously the story right Mm -hmm. that they based it off of so right after that we have Adam's favorite yes (laughs) one of my favorite Disney movies uh, John Gobook the boke of jungle, if you will. <laughs> no. <laughs> this movie is really important. I love it. Yes. And I love the score, too. Go ahead, Robin. <laughs> I, I don't have any... I'll let you take it away. <laughs> That's okay. This movie is really important in determining where Disney was going with their sound 
as well as their animation, but we're only talking about sound today. The thing is, this is the last movie of the Silver Age because this is the last movie that Disney personally oversaw himself. So this is the time when George Bruns, he came back, wrote this score, just like he did. You know, I think Adam is now like a big fan of him because... (laughs) I'm finding out, finding out, yes. (laughs) He wrote the score for this movie and that score, if you're listening to it and you're listening, you listen to all these other Disney scores and you get to the Jungle Book, you hear it and you go, that is the Jungle Book. That movie takes place in a jungle. Yep. And you have influence from the surrounding area and the setting. Thinking about like the overture and everything as I was listening to it, it sounded like people walking, like the drum beating sounded like somebody walking in a very specific way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That makes me want to watch the movie so bad. I might do that tonight. Watch the movie. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So Terry Gilkison was the man that Walt Disney had write the songs for the movie. But he thought the songs were too dark. Kind of funny when you think about the Dark Ages coming just around the corner. (laughs) But he thought the songs were too dark. And they were really heavily based on the book. So he hired the Sherman Brothers to rewrite every single song. And the only song they, they did not rewrite was The Bare Necessities. That is the only song in the Jungle Book that was written by the original songwriter. Hmm. And the Sherman Brothers are really important too. They wrote music for Mary Poppins, as you might remember. So if you ever if you ever seen Saving Mr. Banks, mm. those two dudes, those two cute little guys That's that are right. writing the songs, those are the Sherman Brothers. Oh, cute. and they wrote songs for a lot of Disney movies, and they do in the Dark Age coming up. They wrote lots of that stuff too. So they wrote the songs for the Jungle Book, except for the Bare Necessities. And Disney, when he hired them, he hired them on basically. <laughs> on the contract, like on the idea that they would not read the book. Wow. They were not allowed to read the book before they wrote the songs. Interesting. Because Disney did not want them to write dark songs for the movie. There you go. That is so cool. It's interesting to think about that because you, if you look at the remake that they made, and some people might think, wow, why is it so much more serious in this remake? It's like, well, it's closer to the book. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting when you think about how dark were these songs because you've got a snake hypnotizing you to death, essentially. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to eat Mowgli. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, and it's interesting, too, because you can hear how the first song, The Bare Necessities, really does fit in with the others. They did mm-hmm. a really good job matching. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it starts very slow. I don't know. Now, when I looked at it, it said that it was the soundtrack version, so I didn't know if maybe, because it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Right, and they cut out all Do of they... Mowgli's parts. Okay. Like, yeah. it's it's not... A lot of times in soundtracks, they'll just take it straight from the movie with all the dialogue still, and they do it with Cinderella mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Not in this case. It's just Baloo's singing part. Okay, because it, yeah, it started pretty slow and sounded more like the overture and then it went into like the faster right. pa- yeah. like f- you know that funner beautiful long overture yeah yeah that is the end of the silver age so say goodbye to the silver age of disney everybody bye bye okay we're gonna take a little break right now and i want to know do you enjoy the black case diaries well if so the podcoin app pays you to listen to this podcast and every podcast It's the podcast player that pays. Just get the app free on iPhone or Android. 
You can use the pod coin you earn to claim gift cards or donate to charity. Use our invite code BLACKCASE, all in caps, and you'll get 300 pod coin right away. Also, earn pod coin faster by listening to bonus podcasts like the Black Case Diaries and others. Now we're on to the Bronze Age. I call it the Bronze Age. Some people call it the Dark Age. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a little mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so too. So I, I do, I also refer to it as the Dark Age. I'm just kidding, but... It, the reason it's called the Dark Age is because of, unfortunately, how unsuccessful a lot of the movies were. But that doesn't mean they're bad movies. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, so the Bronze Age is just like being nicer to it. Visually, too, they were a little bit darker. Also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this is just... This is Walt well, Disney has passed away, and uh, the studio is trying to find its footing. It's trying to figure out what kind of stories they want to tell next, and this is when we got the Aristocrat. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the Aristocats, <laughs> Robin Hood, the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, and the Fox and the Hound. This is I put all of these together because they're all pretty similar movies. <laughs> Sorry, just thinking about it. Okay. So the Aristocats was the song. The score was written by <laughs> George Bruns. Yeah. Bur- uh, yes. Bruns. George Dang Bruns. It. Sorry. Should have known. <laughs> it was a jazz-inspired score. Obviously, you guys remember the song mm-hmm. from Aristocats. Yeah. And how everybody wants to be a cat. Abraham Great. DeLacy. And there's a little bit of classical French sounds in the you know because obviously the movie takes place in France. Mm-hmm. The Oristo cats, you know, they've got yeah. the, you know, very yeah. French sounding. In the opening credits, he does sing in French a little bit. Yes. Mm. Yes. The Sherman Brothers returned. They wrote the songs mm. for the movie. I love the song um, that Thomas O'Malley sings when he comes in. It's on the playlist. Yeah. I, that might be my favorite song because <laughs> everyone loves the Everybody Wants to Be a Cat song towards the end. That, it's a great song. But just I love the swing of 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 O'Malley's song, and he has the same voice as Baloo. Yes, I for, mm. I wish I could remember his name, but he's fantastic, and it's just like Abraham DeLacy. Giuseppe. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so and it is. What really a good. hell of a name he's got. <laughs> yeah. um, I always think about. Do you, I wonder if he did he name himself because he's a street cat, right? Oh. So he like obviously I think they were doing like a. He's a Tomcat, Thomas O'Malley. I think that was kind of the right. joke mm-hmm. there. But but the rest of it, Abraham yeah. DeLacy, Giuseppe, Giuseppe Casey, Casey, Thomas O'Malley. O'Malley. That's a hell of I a mean. name. <laughs> that might be my favorite song because of how similar it is to um, The Bare Necessities. There's another theme that I almost put on there, but it sounded so much, so much like Robin Hood. I thought, I'm going to put that on the Robin Hood part. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Robin Hood, Smart. which is just around the corner, the next one we're going to talk about here. <laughs> the thing about Robin Hood is that I, I love how much how passionate people are about it. I know a lot of people who really love this movie. Mm-hmm. And musically, it is very similar to the Aristocats. There is something about Robin Hood that makes it very special and sets it apart from every other movie of this era. And that is the fact that they had Roger Miller, a popular singer-songwriter, write songs and sing them and narrate the movie, which was a totally new move that they they did not do mm-hmm. until later. This was really, really special and interesting. You have Bing Crosby singing a few years ago in Ichabod and Mr. Toad, but you didn't have him actually writing the songs. Musically, it's very similar to the Aristocats. It's also written, uh, also composed by George Bruns. 
and the sounds are very 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 similar and obviously <laughs> the animation was recycled they had almost i had a very low budget for this movie mm-hmm. it, it was not you know it, it was hard it was hard for him to make it to the finish line but when you've got that song by roger miller and also you have the phony king of england that song was written by johnny mercer and i want to point that out just because johnny mercer is a very big name in music it's another tim pan alley dude my mom sang lots of johnny mercer when i was a kid so this is actually kind of a pretty special movie when it comes to music robin hood is kind of this weird conglomerate movie where it just kind of picked little pieces from everywhere and this glued it together with its own stuff and boom there you go you got it it stole from the rich <gasps> whoa that's what it was <laughs> to the poor movie <laughs> that's what they did it was on purpose it was on purpose that's the right. whole time oh my wow. gosh that's meta the next movie on the list after that is The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which we're not going to talk very much about, but I will say Sherman Brothers back again, mm. writing iconic songs like Winnie the Pooh. Right. The theme song, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's... They, they use it on every piece of Winnie the Pooh media still. Right. And uh, the score for Winnie the Pooh, is it one, one composer wrote the score for Winnie the Pooh. It was the same guy who wrote the score for The Fox and the Hound. So I figure... Just kind of, you know, putting them together. His name was Buddy Baker. And he scored a lot of live action Disney films, like The Apple Dumpling Gang, for oh, example. Yeah. The Fox and the Hound, the movie that we're going to just mention very quickly because it's very sad. There's a song. There's only one song in it. Again, this is, this is a very common thing with the Dark Age movies, mm-hmm. is the one song and a score. The Best of Friends... It was written by Stan Fidel and Richard Johnston. This really, this is Disney flexing on us and showing us <laughs> how they they can control how we feel. Yeah. Oh god. They can make us sad when they want us to be sad, for mm-hmm. sure. And this is this is an example of that. Yeah. Music has a lot to do with how we feel when we're watching a movie. The next one I have is The Rescuers. And I just wanted to say a couple really small things about The Rescuers. The song Someone's Waiting for You, a very sad song. It was written by Carol Connors and Ayn Robbins. And I just want to point out that they also wrote Gonna Fly Now from Rocky. Oh, wow. The Rocky hmm. theme. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was them. They wrote that. Isn't that nice. crazy? Yeah, that's pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, the music was by Sammy Fine. Hey, we've heard that name a few mm-hmm. times before, haven't He's we? He's doing a fine job out there. <laughs> Never gets old, Adam. I can't. Right. Yeah. You know, that was the only song he wrote was, was Someone's Waiting for You from that movie, Sammy Fine. Connors and Robbins wrote the rest of the songs for the movie, and Artie Butler wrote the score for The Rescuers. Nice. So we're just going to skip that and head back way down to the Black right. Cauldron. I know we've discussed the Black Cauldron a couple times on this podcast, but mm-hmm. um, the the score is incredibly cool. It, it kind of almost doesn't fit, but still fits. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, listening to it on the playlist, it's like different from pretty much every other score. Um, and oh, I guess, absolutely. And I mm-hmm. guess deviating from the formula... Is it is good sometimes? It but... is. It is definitely. St- it sticks out like a sore thumb sure on does. that playlist. Yeah, 
they went from Jungle Book not wanting to be scary and sad and terrifying or whatever to yeah. this, uh, n- where it's like, okay, go now, dark. Now that Walt's gone, we're going to go scary. <laughs> it's this wonderful, deep, epic score. The sound matches the time period. Mm-hmm. Medieval times, mm-hmm. magic, fantasy, and the score was done by Elmer Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Do you guys recognize that name? I do. Yes. He is one of the biggest composers on this list at total. Yeah. He is, he was a gigantic person in movie scores. And this is the only time that he ever did a score for Disney. And this was such a change. It's such a, Disney's not using someone they know. They're not using someone they've, they've used before. They're taking somebody who is absolutely very prominent and they're bringing them in because they want a very specific sound. They want something dark. And uh, Elmer Bernstein definitely delivered with this score. The movie did not do well. <laughs> but... I just want to. I, I want to say that when they took a chance, they took a chance hard. Yep. They they really did. They took a leap of faith. It didn't quite work out, but I'm glad they did it because now we have it and we can appreciate. Exactly. It. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. So right after the Black Cauldron, we have the Great Mouse Detective. Yes. And with the exception of the world's greatest criminal mind, there are no songs, and that song is sung by Vincent Price. Right. Oh, which wow. Is- crazy yeah so I, I i just i want that to sink in for a second this is they're really making weird changes they're doing mm. weird stuff mm-hmm. and the score was written by henry mancini who again a huge name and somebody who had not even touched disney they pull him in they have him write this score and it absolutely fits mm-hmm and listening to the world's greatest criminal mind um <laughs> it made me realize that oh my Radigan's a lot more evil than you initially think. I right. Mean, he's a rat, but don't call him. He'll kill you. Worse than mm-hmm. the widows and orphans you've drowned. Right. I did a line from the song. Yes. He says, "Oh, this is going to be my best heist yet, or whatever. This is my greatest one that I'm coming up with right now." And they're like, "Oh yeah, better than the people you drowned." <laughs> like, yeah, not oh. just people. Yeah, the widows and orphans. <laughs> yeah, and then he feeds a guy to a cat. Yeah. Oh, Mid song. Yeah. Mid song. That's right. And it's like, oh, okay. Thanks. Right. You evil guy. If you watch The Great Mouse Detective, if you don't want to watch the whole thing, just watch the first three minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because it has an incredible beginning. It's very interesting. And with that score, that's what really brings it home. That's the part of the movie that really draws you in and gets you interested in watching it. So The Great Mouse Detective is the second to last movie of the Disney Bronze Age, the Disney Dark Era. Now we're going to land at Oliver and Company. Mm. This is the last one we're going to talk about from this era. So scored by J.A.C. Redford, Oliver and Company closed out the Disney Dark Age. And the songs from this movie are notable because of how many different artists collaborated on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that there's a Howard Ashman credit on a Disney movie. That's going to be important when we talk about the Renaissance. So before we mention Howard Ashman, and and the song that he wrote was Once Upon a Time in New York City. It's sung by Huey Lewis in the News. And uh, what they did... I think think you just blew out of (laughs) time. I I knew it sounded familiar. (laughs) It's like, who's that singing right now? I know that. I can't believe it. (laughs) 
there, now you do. Now I know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's news to me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, wow. So you have artists like Billy Joel, Huey Lewis, mm-hmm. and Bette Midler, all singing songs in this movie. And I know Billy Joel didn't really write any songs for the movie, but he did give his voice. And that his his voice was a very prominent voice of the 1980s. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. There's even a song in there written by Mary Manilow. So that's how how many artists actually can you know worked on Oliver and Company. So here we are, guys, the Disney Renaissance. Yes, like a phoenix rising from the ashes. <laughs> Disney- <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Disney animation saved itself from being closed down, and all it took was the angelic voice of a little mermaid. Ah, beautiful. It's true. Yep. So it's time for everyone to close their eyes again. (laughs) Unless you're driving. It's 1989. Really, there haven't been any princess movies, really, since Sleeping Beauty. So think about that. Chew on that for a second. Quite a a minute. Yeah, Disney decides to make a movie based on the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, The Little Mermaid. And they made a move that was very important for Disney. And if they had not done this, Disney wouldn't exist. There would be no Frozen. There'd be no Moana. None of that shit would happen. This this was it. This was their defining moment. They pulled... A sing like a, a a composer lyricist duo from the head they'd done they'd been successful on Broadway. They'd written a play called Little Shop of Horrors, which was based off of a 1960s movie. It was a campy musical, pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And they pulled them. They pulled Alan Menken, who wrote the wrote the music, and Alan Menken, who said, "Well, let's just get my buddy Howard Ashman in." And, and we'll work on this stuff together. There you go. We'll make you gold. <laughs> <laughs> Howard Ashman, like I said, had worked on Oliver and Company. But, like, you know, if you know anything about these movies and how animation works, you know that they're never just working on one movie at a time. Obviously, they're going to be doing several projects at once because one animated movie can take about seven years to make. Yeah, especially hand-drawn animation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the Little Mermaid did take some time. <laughs> yeah, they actually, fun fact, they had to outsource the bubbles alone. They had to, other other companies and other teams of animators just drawing tiny circles in the water, which crazy. Amazing. Yeah, that that is insane. And so with Alan Menken, who is able to write the score and the songs for the movie, so he was there able he was able to do both. One trick pony. And <laughs> that's exactly right. Two birds, one right. stone. <laughs> or, yeah, maybe I said that wrong. No, I like that. I like the way, I like what you said. <laughs> and Howard Ashman, when he came in, these guys, I don't know how much creative freedom, you know, songwriters had in the earlier movies, but these guys were coaching the people singing in the movie. They brought in Jodie Benson. She was a great... I mean, they matched the voice perfectly to Ariel. And, you know... I, there's actually footage of Howard Ashman coaching her, telling her like how to sing part of your world. Mm-hmm. And he wrote the lyrics for it. And he also made some changes in, in the movie when he came in, you know, he had some suggestions. Like for example, Sebastian initially was British and wore a powdered wig. And he was like, mm-hmm. let's make him Jamaican. And that way we can use Calypso music. Ooh. And imagine if that change hadn't happened. Yeah, it'd be a, a completely different movie. Yeah. Very different. Sebastian would become this character that you just 
probably don't like at all. What, what do you guys think of the soundtrack, the Little Mermaid soundtrack? Um, I love it. It's it's a super unique. You, you mentioned they they use calypso music, which is like you think about what the heck does underwater sound like. You have to think about that. They have these big sweeping things to trying to keep some fantasy in there, but like it's not calypso music and kind of like that beachy theme is kind of more what you'd expect an underwater civilization to sound like or 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 what they enjoy playing, something like that. So it it, it fits in really well. Not just in the the songs that they sing, but as in the score as a whole. So I yeah. I, I love it's it. It's just so iconic. It, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> it like it's a huge. It was a huge deal. This movie saved Disney basically. Yeah. Um, so it all worked together. It was a shot in the dark, and they hit bullseye. Actually, my niece just this weekend was watching Little Mermaid and with my dad and my and my dad said that and in the beginning like they were watching the movie and she just was like <gasps> you know like she did something and he was like are you okay what's wrong and she was like I just love this part and it was just you know just like you know it, it, the wow. movie's 30 years old mm-hmm. you know and and this is the kind of thing that gave these movies I mean obviously there are so many factors that come into play that make these movies last the way they do but Robin Kids don't want to watch <laughs> old animation. It looks old. <laughs> exactly. They want to watch 3D stuff. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Nobody. Anyway, the next movie was Beauty and the Beast. And this movie was just as important as The Little Mermaid. Because this is really, this is like the one-two punch again. This, mm-hmm. is, this is Snow White and Pinocchio. This is exactly what... Disney needed. They needed another movie to prove to everybody that they were staying. They weren't going anywhere. Even after that dark age, this was it. Disney's doing a great job. They're fine. They're doing mm-hmm. just fine. And mm-hmm. from and then from now on, they they haven't worried since. Right. They had this is I mean, honestly, Beating the Beast has the most beautifully haunting score in the beginning. I think that's what I what I put on the list, right? Mm-hmm. Was it the score? The prologue. Yes, yeah. the prologue, the narration. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Absolutely, it's an incredible score, and it it fits perfectly with this mystery of the castle, and you know, again, this fantasy thing that Disney likes to do. It's this who the heck knows European country, even though we know it's France in this case, but it's like this this super fantasy thing but then the castle's like decrepit and it's right. like it has this haunting like was mm-hmm. you know it's real i don't want to the word that comes to mind is wispy but that's not really that's not exactly what i mean it's just haunting is the right, right. word so for the some of the songs too this is something that i also want to mention just briefly are the people that perform some of these songs for example angela lansbury perform tale as old as time which is basically the beauty of the beast anthem right right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is uh <laughs> this is the song my niece my niece leah who's six now when she was a little itty bitty baby she called it uh the princess and the lion that was how nice that was, that was <laughs> also an apt name i yeah. mean yeah fits right in right and and this is so this is the kind of stuff that made people fall in love with this movie and the last thing that i'll say about beauty and the beast is that it is the last movie where it only two movies really were when Alan Menken and Howard Ashman got to work together and really, you know, resurrected Disney with these songs and the music. And uh, Howard Ashman died just before Beating the Beast 
released. Mm. And so he never actually got to see the movie. And, uh, which is very, very sad mm-hmm. <laughs> and makes me want to cry every time I think mm-hmm. about it because the man saved Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really did. Yeah. He was, he was more than just, it was all part movies. of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he died just before the movie was released. And so at the end of the movie, you'll see there's a dedication to him and it's very sweet. And I just, I want to point that out so people maybe will look for it the next time they watch the movie. So moving on from Beauty and the Beast. Aladdin. Aladdin, when we, I I think when we announced that we were going to do this episode on Twitter, we asked people what their favorite Disney scores were. Yep. And a lot of people said Aladdin. Um, It's great. It's got that real, like, grand and, um, I guess you could describe it as haunting a little bit. It's got that Arabian flair Mm, on it. Yes. It fits right in right at the beginning. That Arabian flair. I mean, that's what it is. But... In the, in the same way that the Jungle Book was influenced by the location that it takes place in, so is Aladdin. So it, it's it's perfect in that way. And then on top of that, great songs, Robin Williams, you know, we, pff, million and one reasons to love this movie. Mm-hmm. Right. What's funny is I actually did not see Aladdin as much as I saw the second one, Prince of Thieves, <laughs> as a kid. Because, the third one. Or thir- that's third? Oh, shoot. It was the um, third one. second one's Return mm-hmm. of Jafar. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Okay, so I guess I saw the third one a lot as a kid. <laughs> um, so that's a little interesting fact. Um, <laughs> but uh, a long time ago, I made Robin a CD with some music. <laughs> And I, what I did was put a famous, like a famous song or the most popular song from each year that, you know, we were alive for. And the first one was 1992, because Aladdin, and I put A Whole New World on there. But I didn't realize, because I didn't watch it as much, that I put the pop version yeah. on the CD and not the one <laughs> from the movie. Yes. Oh. I was told <laughs> about that after. I'm sorry. But it's, it's okay. No, no, no. So what I want to know, though, is when did they start doing the pop versions the pop of songs? Stuff? Mm-hmm. I actually think that it started with Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I was going to okay. say, definitely Taylor as old as time has yeah. a pop version. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, as as you go throughout the 90s, pretty much every single one has a pop version in, in the credits, and they still do that. Up until now. Yep. Tradition. Yeah. So I, I, I... Cut that. <laughs> cut that out, man. I do think it's it. Beauty and the Beast might be. This is actually, it's a really good question because when you think of the 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. when those songs were coming out from the movies back then, those were turning into jazz standards covered by big bands and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like they were nece- necessarily pop as we think of pop, but mm-hmm. they were being covered by artists. Being covered, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but they weren't being packaged and sent with the film the way it is. <laughs> is now, at yeah. the end of the movie, the yeah. credits. And the thing with Aladdin, that there's a few things with Aladdin that are really important that I really want to highlight. One, everyone seems to love it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's that. Uh, second, the thing is, is with Aladdin that made it really interesting was this was one of the very first times, and it was the first time since the Disney Renaissance had begun where they didn't have the same actor who was providing the voice do the singing. This this was the time when, with Aladdin and Jasmine, both, they hired other singers who just sounded like them. 
to sing for the movie. And before, you know, for Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid, they did not do that. This this came about because the woman who was the voice of Jasmine, they asked her, they chose her for the part. And she almost turned the part down. She said, I, I can't. They said, can you sing? And she said, not like a princess. Hmm. I can't Aww. sing like a princess. I can't do that. Don't Don't ask me to do that. And they were like, we'll hire somebody. And they, they picked a Broadway star at the time Aww. to do it instead. Right. Another thing about Aladdin, Oliver and Company was the first movie with a Howard Ashman credit. Mm-hmm. Aladdin is the last one. When Aww. they were working on, it's actually true, he wanted to do Aladdin before Beauty and the Beast. And so he was writing the songs for Aladdin. So he wrote Friend Like Me and Arabian Nights and songs like that. And... Then, you know, they got him to do Beauty and the Beast instead. And so he was like, fine. So he did that. And, and they talked about writing a song for the Magic Carpet Ride part of the movie, but he never got around to do it. So that song was actually, it was written by Tim Rice, who became a, a Disney lyricist for the rest of the 90s. Yeah, so it jump-started him. So that's yeah. good. So the next movie on our list is one that's very very different. A big boy. Same with the Black Cauldron being a little bit different and the Great Mouse Detective. The Lion King, the next movie we're talking about, brought in Hans Zimmer, who uh, normally does not score animation. <laughs> right. If you guys are familiar with Hans Zimmer. Yes. He's a big, big name, but he doesn't do animation, and he's he's done animation since. But I believe this might have been the first time that he did I animation. I think it was. So... Hans Zimmer did the beautiful score for The Lion King. Absolutely mm-hmm. stunning. What do you guys think of The Lion it's King? It's un- unparalleled. I yeah. mean, it's pro- it's probably the top Disney movie to date still. I mean, Frozen's huge, sure, but like you can't compare it to something like mm-hmm. The Lion King. Um, not only because of the score, but just the movie as yeah, a whole. Yeah. But the incredible opening, it's iconic at this point oh my god yeah it's a giant yeah seeing the lion king in the movies is one of my first memories ever yeah mm-hmm. like that's <laughs> of my life yeah and that's kind of why they we look at the remake happening now it's so so similar is because they you got it right the first time you know right. don't mm-hmm. fix don't fix what isn't broke yeah now adam when you i watched the trailer for the second time i remember yeah. you saying you realized why because i i watched the initial trailer and i and i was like oh this is cool lion king i'm like wait why am i excited for this i don't <laughs> these remakes are a bad idea i don't want why am i excited <laughs> and then i watched it again on mute that's why yeah, yeah. I, I looked at it. I'm like, oh, this looks not good. It just shows Visually, how powerful that music, music is. Is so powerful, and it's straight from the original. They may have they may have re-recorded it, updated it for the modern speakers and whatnot. Right. But but it's a, it's the same it's the same score, and um, that's what that's what I was hyped about. I'd go watch the original movie now and hear that same music right. and be just as hyped. Mm-hmm. And you know, honestly. One other thing that sets The Lion King apart, not just that great score, is also the songs in The Lion King. Yeah. Do you guys know who wrote the songs <laughs> for The Lion King? Uh, Elton John. <laughs> Elton John wrote those songs, Elton guys. Freaking oh my John. god, I didn't he wrote How did the, I not realize. He wrote that? the songs and Tim Rice did the lyrics. And not just for Can You Feel the Love Tonight? For all of them. Mm. That was him. 
So these even the morning report <laughs> maybe I don't know about the morning report. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't listed in the official IMDb credits. Okay, there you so, go. So I will say though, that's another thing that really sets it apart. You know, this is you know I was talking about I was talking about Roger Miller writing songs for Robin Hood, and now we've got Elton John writing songs for The Lion King. So I guess that did happen later on. And it's even more like Robin Hood because Elton John sings one of the songs in the movie, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, mm. during the love scene. Yep. This is like a step sideways from from the way the Renaissance was going and, and the fact that it was so good mm-hmm. that people consider it to be the best Disney movie ever made. Some people do. I might be one of them. I might I don't too. Know. Yeah, I mean, shoot. <laughs> I consider it to be very, very good. Yes, <laughs> at least. Be hard and, pressed to pick a different one, right? And and the fact that they were able to change gears so hard and for it to be to pay off so well is great because it didn't work so well in the other times, and they did they did take a chance, and I think that that you know it shows how how that can pay off. I'm glad they were still taking chances. Yeah, because if mm-hmm. they had just followed their formula. We may have gotten other great movies, sure, but we may have not gotten Lion King. And without that, Mm -hmm. different world it would be. Right. So right after Lion King, we have Pocahontas. Another great score. We had had asked on Twitter, what are some people's favorite Disney animated scores? And Always the Critic Movie Podcast told us that they liked Pocahontas, Aladdin, and Hunchback of Notre Dame, which... That's really fun. They're all right in a row. <laughs> that is like that is. <laughs> I think they have years, a favorite era. Yeah, those years are right. That's they're right on top of each other, except for I guess Lion King's right there mm. in the middle. But anyway, so with Hunchback of Notre Dame and Pocahontas, we have the same lyricist, Stephen Schwartz. You guys that might not recognize recognize his name. Do you guys recognize his name? <laughs> I recognize no. it. No, but I just thought of uh, but... salute your Schwartz. Uh, no. <laughs> I thought maybe may the Schwartz be. With I was you. thinking, yeah, spaceballs oh, for sure. <laughs> so Stephen Schwartz wrote the lyrics for those movies, and we're just going to talk about him just for a split second because I know we are talking about scores. But it'll be a real Schwartz that... discussion. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote the lyrics for Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame, but he also wrote he... the musical Pippin, mm. Wicked. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, Godspell. Yes. Oh. He, he's done a lot of stuff, and he has done those two movies. And the lyrics, think about the lyrics. Oh, my God, the lyrics in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Just, yes. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my God. And Pocahontas. When you think about the scene, Savages, when she's rushing, right, oh, to yeah. stop the execution mm-hmm. of... John Smith. Her mm-hmm. part over the top of yes. the two armies in their part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely beautiful lyrics. It's it's, it's like you really, really are listening to poetry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, those are some of the songs that you can just sing out yeah. loud when they're playing just belted. We went on a camping trip earlier uh, in the summer, as you guys remember, because we did a briefcase about it. But we went on a camping trip and we were driving through the woods of Ohio. Do you guys remember? Uh-huh. And we yes. had Around the River Bend playing in the car. <laughs> With like this little creek right next to the road. Yeah, we're passing all of the sycamore trees. Oh. And, you know, it's like, this is, you know, oh my God. It's Ex- perfection. Exactly. I mean, it was exactly what... Pocahontas, it sounds right. 
So after the Hunchback of Notre Dame, who which is another one of my absolute all time favorite scores, I think it is. I think it's the best Disney score. Mm-hmm. That is just my opinion. <laughs> I love God Help the Outcasts. That's one of my. That's, I put that on the list. I believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and me and my sister will like we'll sing the beginning. Me and my sister Becky will sing the beginning of Out There. Like you are deformed, I am deformed. (laughs) (laughs) They do it many a time. Who gets to be Quasimodo? (laughs) She's usually she's usually Quasimodo. (laughs) 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 But it's it's really great, you know. It it doesn't. It will just switch back and forth. But like you know, we know all the words, and I can Mm. sing the whole thing. and, And just just the beginning of the Hunchback of Notre Dame when he's telling the story, this beautiful imagery and just terrifying music and mm-hmm. this awesome song which is like these epic lyrics i love it i absolutely love Hunter another Hunter another it's top brilliant. opening yeah for real that's right so after we got the hunchback of Dom, we've got my husband's favorite disney animated movie and this one is super cool it's super different hercules hercules mm-hmm. <laughs> hercules will save us so hercules and also i want to mention because i kind of didn't say anything about it for hunchback or pocahontas but alan menken has been has been doing the score straight through here he did aladdin he did pocahontas hunchback he does did hercules and so you know he is really he created the sound the disney sound of the 90s (coughs) and hercules the lyrics are done by david zippel i think that's how you say his name could be zippel i don't know but that that's who did the lyrics. I'll call him up right now. Okay. Yeah. Got him on speed dial? Yep. <laughs> so Hercules is really interesting because of the way it's laid out. In the beginning, they start with the muses, and the muses guide us through the story, as you guys all know. Mm-hmm. The whole exposition of the movie is told through a song sung by the muses. And I can't help... I can't help but feel that this was maybe slightly, just slightly influenced by the beginning of Little Shop of Horrors. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. When you've got the booming narration, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. On the 24th day in the month of September. And then you've got, you know, long ago in the faraway land of ancient Greece. And they, you know, very similar. And then you've got absolutely awesome, awesome song. Right, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's bopping, it's sweet, you know. You got like you, you can I could sing the whole thing, and it's it's I won't, but it, it's great. <laughs> and one of my favorite parts about these particular songs by the Muses, the beginning ones, they sing a lot of songs throughout the movie. But if you listen to these songs back to back, as you're meant to watching the movie, you kind of feel the progression of the mood. That they're setting, you know, it starts out like Zeus defeated the Titans. It's like, yeah, everybody's having a great time, and then it's like, and then Hades came, and then, and then it got real low. You know, Hercules was mortal. It's like they get lower and lower, and then it it really follows the mood this whole way as they tell the story, as it leads into when you know the rest of the movie begins, because they kind of cut away from the song for couple of seconds here and there to to say a few things but not until hercules has grown up do they really start the movie you know but 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 i love that progression um throughout the entirety of the song that's why you kind of have to listen to it all together 
Because if you listen to just part one, the way they have it broken up yeah. on Spotify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then it's on shuffle. And yeah, and like, it cuts Whoa. away. It's like there's more to that. And <laughs> and it's, it's a wonderful progression. And they use they use a lot of that stuff in the the entirety of the movie. Um, it's such a it's such a great soundtrack. I, I love Hercules as well. Yes. Really unique mm-hmm. bouncing off. There's like some there's some gospel sounds yep. and definitely a little bit of a little bit of Motown, you know, and you've got like especially with I won't say I'm in love. Mm-hmm. Mm. And- but that that's another great song because I love the contradiction or the the comparison or contrast is the word I'm looking for. The contrast between Megara's part of this she's trying to belt out this longing like yeah heartfelt like oh i'm not in love i'm done with being in love but then the muses are like nah nah and they're just like back here yep. just like hipping it back up it's like who you think you're kidding yeah. like we're not buying it and it's and it's a wonderful contrast and it works so well right now the song's in my head yeah. <laughs> whoops <Yep. laughs> so after hercules we're getting very close to the end of the disney renaissance and i want to remind everybody that this is where we're going to stop we may do another part at some point in the future. But I do want to say that the Renaissance is probably, it's a great place to stop just because it really shows you what Disney is capable of. This is the height of Disney. And Disney is back now. And it's still doing the same stuff. If you want us to talk about the post-Renaissance and the revival eras, tweet at us at Black Case Diary on Twitter and let us know if you want Mm -hmm. us to do that. Absolutely. And so the last two on our list here, Mulan, Jerry Goldsmith, mm. who is yep. one of my absolute favorite all times, probably my favorite composer of all time. I absolutely adore Jerry Goldsmith. And this is another example. This is, this is going back to The Lion King. This is somebody who is a film composer that does not compose animation, who does, you know, very, what we would say, serious movies. <laughs> he, you know, he, Rudy Patton, mm-hmm. those kinds of movies, just very serious stuff. And he was able to write a score that not only sounded perfect, it sounded like it took place in China. He pulled all of the, the references and everything, everything that you could think of for Eastern music. And he was really able to put it into a score that was accessible to Western audiences and everybody loved it. It's absolutely incredible. The the piece that I put on your playlist, when I think it's called Short Hair. <laughs> yes. It's the part where Mulan cuts her hair. And it's my favorite part of the soundtrack. <laughs> it's so you do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Banny, yeah. banny, banny. You know, it's like yeah. it is like it is so it's intense. On right yeah. now. It's you were just like, yeah. Oh my god, I am re- I am ready. Bring me the I'm ready to save China. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely and then you've got moments like that that are really intense mm-hmm. and then you've got these really tender moments. Mm-hmm. And that's just the score. In reflection as well. Yeah. The songs are by Matthew Wilder and David Zippel again. David's mm-hmm. back. Whoop whoop. Yeah. Back again. <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of great songs in yeah. Mulan. A mm-hmm. lot of people it, a lot of people will immediately go to make a man out of you oh definitely sung by the great donny osmond yeah that's i'll a, make a man out of you that's a lot of people's favorite i see it a lot on like workout playlists and stuff mm, like yeah. that because it's just got that that yeah, kind of beat that, like, and like yeah. force i can get to through it. this yeah, yeah exactly i really loved near the end there's a part where they just cut out the music and he's just singing yeah that's amazing it like mm. puts that emphasis on it like 
oh yeah it gets you that punch you know you're talking about you know that one moment in the song and that brings me back to pocahontas just for a second Mm -hmm. when they do the villain song and pocahontas the dig Mm -hmm. and they do that that huge breakdown about three quarters of the way through the song okay and uh, when they're just talking about you know dig and dig and and it's just like when you know i love moments like that in those songs where they you know like where they'll pull the music away or Mm -hmm. they'll do like a big breakdown and it's like even when you're a child and you're listening to it on your Walkman, that's music that you can feel. So the last movie on our list, the last movie of the Disney Renaissance is Tarzan. And when I was, I know, when Adam put his hands over his heart, and that's how I feel about Tarzan too. When I was researching and I was putting together the playlist for you guys, I looked up the songs for Tarzan, and I saw this comment, and it absolutely, perfectly sums up exactly how I feel about Tarzan. They said, Phil Collins did not have to go as hard as he did on the Tarzan soundtrack, but he did, and he did it for us. <laughs> and you know what? Honestly, that's, that's it. it. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> that- I mean, I, I, I have heard people say that this is their favorite Disney score, and I was surprised that no one said it on Twitter. I was really shocked. I thought... I thought there'd be some Tarzan mentions, but Phil Collins, he did all of the songs. I mean, you know, You'll Be In My Heart. I mm-hmm. think he won an Oscar for. Mm. It's very, very sweet. Then you've got songs that are more, you know, more Phil Collins-y. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Strangers me? Like Me, Son of Man. God. And then you've got Trash in the Camp. Mm, yeah. Bop. And you've got, you know, you know bringing in Sync. Because they're the ones that sang that for yep. the, oh for the, um, yeah, I know, I know. Also, also, I want to just, just take one step backward and mention that on the Mulan soundtrack, they had, uh, 98 Degrees and Stevie Wonder sing a pop song specifically written just for Mulan. They didn't have them cover a song from the movie, but they had them sing, uh, be true, true to your heart <laughs> in the Mulan. Anyway. But Tarzan did that with Phil Collins, but pretty much the entire soundtrack is a Phil Phil Collins hit. Yeah. That is <laughs> yep. this, yeah. the whole entire soundtrack. They and don't need any pop covers after that. It's they just they don't. No. And it's, I mean, I love it. I love that he carries, this, it's this beauty, he has this great voice that really just carries you through, this, through the movie. And you would never, I would never be able to separate the movie from his voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me neither. The score was done by Mark Mancina. He, he scored movies like Con Air and Twister and movies like that. Mm. But I, I honestly, I, I think that the, the biggest thing that he scored recently is Moana. Mm. So, and that's something, you know, obviously from the revival era, era from now. And uh, his score matches the song so well. So, you know, when we think of the soundtrack of Tarzan, we think of the individual songs. A lot of them sung by Phil Collins some of them sung by the characters. Actually, almost only one character sings in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And it's mm. his mother. I can't think of her name. His adopted mother. Oh, yeah. Oh, she got She that. sings You'll Be In My Heart. And she's the only character that sings in the whole movie. And that's very akin to the movies of the Dark Ages. Dark Ages. The Dark Age. And it's really interesting how that works. So uh, I think that's a great place to stop. What do you guys yeah, think? I think, I think so. so Are there any any last thoughts that you guys have about these scores or movies or anything? Jeez, oh, I mean, thinking about them like this, I I really want to go watch them, but shoot, I want to listen to them. Like the scores alone are incredible 
and that really puts all of these movies on a tier above everything else you know that's why we mentioned it before that's why disney has such a uh, a reputation for being incredible all the mm-hmm. time they just pull out they they pull no stops and um or they pull all the stops and um they 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 produce gold a lot of time i mean sure you can say they aren't aren't killing it as much as they were i mean i i i love all of the movies that they the animated movies that have come out since um since tarzan but you know some people might not but regardless they're they're on they're on a tier above everything else and like you know we could just mention other movies uh treasure planet brother bear another phil collins one you know um Right. I don't yeah. want. I, I, yeah. I don't want to. We'll do up. it. We'll do another yep. episode. Yeah. <laughs> They've found gold no, no, a couple no, no. of times. No, tweet at us about it. <laughs> yes. Let us know if you do. want us to. <laughs> yeah. So our Twitter is at Plat Case Diary, or if you want to follow our Instagram or see our lovely pictures, we are at Black Case Diaries Podcast. And then you can always, always visit our website, blackcasediaries.com. And from there, you can find our merch. And other information, our blog posts, anything you need to know about each episode. And the playlist that we've mentioned this whole episode that, yes. again, Robin graciously put together for us. Thank you, Robin. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And I apologize for it being such a long episode. No, that's okay. okay. Don't apologize for yeah. greatness. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that my, my music teacher told me once. She wrote it on my report card. She oh, said, never you. apologize for your great intelligence. There, there you go. Like, See? Whoa. <laughs> Follow you, it. There you go, Robin. <laughs> it's something that you in particular, all of us are very passionate about it. Um, it's really incredible stuff, and we're so lucky to have it in our lives. I yeah. mean, that's that's all there is to it. That's a wrap. I think that's a case closed, you guys. I like it. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. See ya. listeners of random other podcast i'm your host chris cogswell here with my co-host marie mayhew hey everybody if you like podcasts like whatever podcast this is then come listen to the mad scientist podcast a weekly show on the history philosophy and hard science between fringe and paranormal claims marie what are some topics we've covered in the past we have covered ufos we've covered economic collapse we have covered cats we did cover cats pretty pretty Mm -hmm. distinctly yes if you like podcasts and a little bit of humor and a little bit of singing and some cats come listen to the mad scientist (laughs) podcast please Mm, shoot